Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Options Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy, and Sherry Edwards is still building the portal. I highly recommend that everybody go look at the soundhealthportal.com. They're doing some free campaigns right now, which means that you can just go right on the web. I think you sign up for a free account, and you check out the – I think it's under products. They have campaigns, and a campaign means that you can uh, put your voice in. You have to – preferably a microphone or a headset or something to get the best quality, and you record two 30-second samples, and then you can choose – I believe there's post-traumatic stress disorder. There's bio-diet. I think maybe they're still running neuroplasticity. And a couple of other campaigns that I can't remember. And then usually within a day, sometimes hours, you get a report emailed to you with information about the the campaign that you chose. As well as you can also now go online and use the nano voice there. So we no longer have to haul around a computer. Well, you still need a computer, but you don't have to have the software, which is really great to have the nano voice. I use that a lot to check out supplements to see how a supplement is affecting me. If it's ending well, if it's all the benefits, just, you know, it's a powerful tool. So we will get to Elise Collins and super aging in just a moment. I want to just remind everybody, I say this every week, but this is another one of those shows where I know you're going to want to tell friends about it and or review the material because it's about super aging. And it doesn't mean you're going to live to be a thousand. It means you're going to live a healthy, vital life. Elise will correct me. I'm certain if I'm wrong about that, but I really believe that's the idea of super aging. Is her research on cultures? You know, it's just it's really great work. It's it's you know, if we're going to live long, let's be healthy. What a what an idea. And to send that show to other people, you can, about 10 to 15 minutes after we end the show, you'll be able to go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on the radio tab, and then click on South Health Radio, and the replay link will be there, which will take you to the show notes and to the uh, be able to download it or listen to it there. And or you can go to Google Podcasts, which is cross-platform, works on everything, where you can look it up for free. Or you can go to iTunes or Pocket Casts or Dogcatcher or any number of podcast aggregators, which is just a fancy word for an application where you can start listening to various shows. And you can search for Sherry Edwards, and I think we're at not just around 700. I can't I, – I always lose track. And you just search for Sherry Edwards at, at any of those, and you'll find the shows, and this will be at the top. And with that, Elise Collins' passion and life purpose is helping students and clients form health-filled lifestyle patterns. Her firm belief is that when we take care of our bodies, our purpose and dharma emerges from this foundation of health. Elise has authored many books on healthy living. Her latest, Super Ager, inspires readers to optimize their well-being for longevity in the 21st century and beyond. A visionary yoga teacher for over 20 years, as well as an inspirational content creator, Elise uses the tools of Ayurveda and scientific research to uplift the planet by shifting old paradigms that have kept humans stuck. Guided by her teachings, her students are empowered to embrace their authentic selves as well as their true life's mission. Elise is committed to helping people all over the world move out of darkness and into light and has touched thousands through her yoga instructions and publications. Elise joins us to talk about her newest book, Super Ager. You can look younger, have more energy, a better memory, and live a long and healthy life. Welcome, Elise. Thank you. So glad to be here. It's an adventure. I read the book. I'm not feeling more vital, but I'm feeling pretty good. (laughs) Great. When When did yoga... And how, how and when did yoga come into your life? Have you always been doing yoga? Were you raised in a family of yoga practitioners or yoga people? That's funny you should ask. I actually did have a great aunt that did yoga, and her daughter is my godmother. Uh, but I didn't start doing yoga until, let's see, I think I took a class 
I was a an unclassified graduate student at San Francisco State, and I started taking yoga at in my mid twenties. So I didn't start when I was, you know, a child. A lot of kids are doing that now, or as a teenager. But I started in my mid twenties, and I just loved it. I loved it because all the other physical practices or exercises that I had learned previous to that. Um, were competitive-based or you had to be good at them, and I never felt like a coordinated person, but I had this longing to be embodied. I didn't know how to describe it because there wasn't, you know, no one was talking about being embodied back in the 70s and the 80s, but I remember I wanted to try out for cheerleading, and I knew I wasn't coordinated enough to be a cheerleader, but I just wanted to get past the first eliminations of cheerleading, and I never did. And I think back now, and I think that was my desire to learn to be in my body. Huh. I have, my mind is slightly blown for a moment. I never thought about it that way. That that's that's one of the that that's really a uh, a side effect. <laughs> I guess I'll call that a positive side effect. Not a phrase you hear often is that it really does get you into your body. You're not only breathing and being stretchy and bendy, but you really are, you can't really do, can you really do yoga and not be in your body? Is that possible? Seems hard. I, yeah, I, I think there's many levels to that. I think it's possible, but I think if you continue to practice, like all roads lead to, that connection. I mean, at its deepest sense, I always like to remind people that yoga, the word means union or to yoke in Sanskrit. So we, we can come to the practice from so many different angles. We can come from um, wanting to be more connected to spirit or a lot of people come to yoga, especially in the modern era, they could care less about being spiritual. They just want to feel good or they, they heard it's a good exercise. They want to stretch out. And to me, that's fine, because if they stick with it, eventually they're going to have to confront their own truth, and they're going to have to, you know, there, there's unless they move away from it, that's possible too. But I think everything leads to greater and greater union. Well, and, it's, and you mean, you, when you say union, you mean union within yourself. Is that correct? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I do mean it on, and again, I think it's a layered thing. I think it's union of the spirit and the body. I think it's union with what is around you, union with nature. And some people might come to that through exercise. And our culture, I know that's why I told the story about me trying to be a cheerleader because our culture, you know, we, we might have religion or I was, you know, I grew up in Northern California and there was no one that was talking about these ideas that I found in yoga and Eastern spirituality so, and I grew up with a very intellectual, um, mental family. So they weren't, they weren't really. I mean, we did a little bit of exercise, but it was a very heady uh, family. So I wanted to, I had this desire to be in my body, to be embodied, but I couldn't, I couldn't even explain it at when I was growing up. <laughs> that would be very. I'm laughing because I know families like that uh, growing up. In a slightly southern part of California, middle California, versus you're going in northern California. And I knew families like that where, because I grew up in, well, I grew up near Big Sur, Esalen. So I was around a lot of people who actually taught at Esalen. And it was so interesting to see families where kids grew up in, they were mental, but then they sort of were confronted by that people who were brilliant, but also were very, you know, spent a lot of time either meditating or doing yoga or having some kind of practice. And that's an, that's a very interesting blending where people who are just incredibly mental all the time, then discover their body and go, wow. And it, and it's, I'll, I'll, you'll have a better word for this, but I think of it as a sort of an enlightenment of, oh my God, I'm not just a brain. You know, I have this now. I yeah. have this amazing, as you said, union where you like discover your body and actually it makes you be in the moment. I think is that is that a positive effect of also doing yoga? Is you get really into the you get into the breath and you get into actually being here now, so to speak. Yes, yes, I I 
firmly believe that. And I think that the moment is where we connect to our senses because, and the breath, and the breath is always in the moment. We can't, I always say we can't breathe for the future or breathe for the past. We can only breathe in this moment. <laughs> That's a great t-shirt. You can't breathe for the future. That's excellent. Yes. Okay. That's great. I like that. I'm printing some up. (laughs) Let's send that to our government. You can't breathe for the future. We need air tomorrow also. That's really good. Um, Uh, And let's jump into when did you have either the aha or the idea of super aging? When did that enter into your combination of practice and then have you always taught yoga or did you do yoga for a long time and then start teaching or you, you did it and you taught concurrently or how did that all come together and how did that lead um, to super aging? Yeah, there's a lot of stories in there. So uh, I've taught yoga for the past, really I started teaching when my son um, was born because I was a videographer before that and it just, didn't lend itself to being a new mom. So that was about 20 years ago. My son is almost 20. And that at that time, it was like the very beginning of the yoga, we'll call it the yoga explosion. (laughs) Now there's uh, the Onion, you know, the Onion Humor magazine once ran an article that said one in every five women is a yoga teacher. (laughs) So now there's yoga teachers everywhere yoga on every block but 20 years ago the yoga whatever you want to call it the yoga explosion hadn't really happened and I had done a yoga training and I wasn't even sure if I wanted to teach but there was so much demand at that time that I started teaching and I realized quickly that it was a great uh, occupation so to speak or something to do to um, make money and have a career while my son was young and growing up. So that's how I started teaching yoga. And it, I was before that, I was actually a meditator. And so I had a meditation practice. And so it, it, it was easy for me to step into being a yoga teacher. And then how it ties in with super aging is I actually started writing books um, maybe 15 years ago. And I have a mentor in publishing, and she said, oh, we need a book on super aging. And I was mm-hmm. like, what is that? I don't know what that is. It's a new kind of buzzword. And, you know, people out there, especially with the Internet now, keywords, and, and um, they, they really kind of lock into new paradigms. So I didn't know what this word super aging or super ager meant, but I knew that I wanted to be a super ager I knew I wanted to explore it, and I did have a long uh, term. I had a long term interest in older adults and aging. I hadn't really brought it to the surface, but it just all came together, and that's how I uh, started writing the book. Um, and and is there what is the difference? I mean, I know, I know physically what is the difference. Do you find that there's a difference in mental state between straight meditation versus doing yoga, which is a kind of meditation unto itself, I feel? Yeah, I think um, with meditation, you are usually closing your eyes, although we could say meditation could be you know, across the board, maybe gardening is your meditation or walking is your meditation. But I think with traditional meditation, you close your eyes. So you are going into like a little bit of sensory, you know, you're trying to be in a quiet place so that you can listen to more of your own inner knowing and your inner voice, but also being in the moment, which as it sounds pretty simple, but if you've ever tried to meditate, it can be very difficult to be present and still and not go into the mind and the stories. Yeah. And then the physical, <laughs> yeah, the yoga practice itself, I mean, it arose from, like literally I think 
I, I also teach kids, and when you tell kids, like, they like to imitate animals. And if we look at animals, animals don't have that mind. You see an animal get wake up and they stretch naturally, downward dog. They just they stretch their paws out and they do these movements. And animals are known to heal themselves through movement and even like eat. They know what to eat. They know what to do. They don't have that mind, that overlay of the mind. So I think the yoga practice is that on that level of physicality where we are animals and we know how to heal ourselves to open up our, our energy channels. And so yoga, the physical aspect of yoga, is a way to open up the prana in your body. And what is prana? I would say it's life force, it's vitality, and other, some cultures call it chi, or um, those are the words I can think of now, prana, chi, inner light, and, um, you know, different cultures have different ways of describing it, but it's an intangible, it's not a physical thing that you can measure, but it's there, and I think you can see it in someone's eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Along with this, when did when you started doing yoga, did you start also your Ayurvedic studies? What is what is Ayurvedic, and did your studies start at the same time, or were you doing yoga for a while and then you chose or got interested in Ayurvedic practice? Yeah, so I um, let's see, I went to India in 1990, and I actually went to an Ayurveda but I didn't even understand what it was or what they were talking about. Uh, and then I, I started studying um, like a few years later. I'm trying to think of the trajectory. It kind of came at a, a similar time but from different directions because in, in the yoga world, people, especially in, in the 90s, uh, there was, you know, people were just trying to get yoga accepted. So it was much more mainstream and they were like, pushing away a lot of the more obscure parts of, um, you know, like Ayurveda is a sister science to yoga, but that was not in, in the conversation until later, so to speak. And um, so I just, I was drawn to Ayurveda for a couple reasons. One is it's literally called the science of life. That's how you translate Ayurveda. It's from the Vedas and it encompasses everything. So, in the Western model of like medical care or healing, we we're very we isolate things, and even more so in you know Western medicine. But in Ayurveda, everything affects you, so it's complicated, and and you can simplify it. For example, your relationship of with nature is paramount to your health, and I don't hear a lot of now. It's changing with circadian medicine, but um, each season has a different elemental property. So the elements really spoke to me because in Ayurveda, each stage of life has an element. So when you're born, you are in the earth element. When you're a teenager, you're in the fire element. And that's when you're rebellious and cantankerous. And I, I didn't want to listen to anyone. I'm sure your listeners who have teenagers or who have been teenagers all can relate to how fiery you are when you're a teenager and that fire continues though maybe not as strong until midlife and then you go into the air stage and that's the stage of perspective and wisdom and so you use that as a a foundational and so the and then there are types um in other systems, it would be called body typing. I'm not sure what it's called in Ayurveda, but I know that there are types or uh, like kapha, vata. I, I can use those words. I don't know what they mean, but I can use them because I've heard them. And and talk a bit about those. What because there are it's it, it is a system. I, I've heard a great deal of conversation about Ayurvedic, but I've never been able to get a grasp on it really. So talk a bit about the types. Yeah. So, again, it can be both very simple and complicated. And I try to simplify it because I think there's so much wisdom in that simplicity. So you also have what I would call a blueprint. I call it in the book uh, your blueprint. So it's literally your spirit and your body coming together. And 
your blueprint is created at the moment of conception. So your blueprint, Richard, I don't know your blueprint, but maybe it has air and earth. And we, we can be a combination. Like the idea is that each person is unique, so it's personalized medicine. It's not across-the-board medicine. It is very personalized. And then this blueprint interacts with the world, and it interacts with the stages of life. So let me give the example of a more fiery person. Uh, Say your blueprint has a lot of fire. And fire people usually, like our president, when they're out of balance, they're obnoxious (laughs) and (laughs) But... uh, an example would be, but that could be also a way to have compassion. Like, I'm not going to even suggest that you have compassion for the president, but with <laughs> fire, you, but you can understand, like, maybe um, that fire is out of balance and other people are relating to that in some way. And that's showing the bigger picture. But anyway, let me come back to teenage, being a teenager. Now, those of you that have children or listeners that have had children or have seen children, we know that each one comes with a different, you know, we might call it a personality, but I would also call it an elemental profile. And then you can see that develop through their lifespan. And some, um, like, for example, if you are a fiery person, you are often very rebellious in your teenage years, especially if you're out of balance or you're not getting the nurturing and validation that you need to express that fire. And another example would be my son. When He's a very airy type of person. He's, um, he's always been very sensitive. Air types are very sensitive. And I remember when he was five years old, we put him on a soccer team like a lot of parents do. And I remember he could care less if he was winning. He was like in the field digging a hole. And I remember he was with his friend staring at the clouds, just like wondering what was happening. But there was another kid with a body type of fire and he wanted to win, win, win. And I remember his mother was like, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But that kid could care less because he had that fire inside him. And his mom, you know, I was like, don't even try to convince him not to. He needs, he needs to direct that energy into something. Hmm. I think I'm a kapha. I would guess that. I don't even know that, but I can almost hear it in your voice. And kaphas <laughs> are loving and warm, and they're the earth. Uh, when they're out of balance, they can be stubborn. And and kaphas are really good at super aging because when you have that earth element, you take that with you into the air stage. And so hmm. it's a good balance. Hmm. We'll talk more about that later. <laughs> okay. Balance. That'd be very exciting. Getting Balance. <laughs> no, no, no. It's yeah. okay. I uh, on air. I'm totally. <laughs> we can talk about anything. Um, and so you take all of this, and then you get into really looking at and writing this great book about super aging. And I know one of the things that you talk about in the book. I, I have a number of things that you do, talk about. One of them are blue zones and my question about blue zones is what are blue zones and why are they blue why blue what is that why are they called blue zones yeah so the blue zones are places in the world where people have lived the longest and there's many centenarians people living organically past 100 they're not doing anything you know weird or medical or they're just living past 100. And the, way, the reason they're called blue zones was just kind of a fluke. There was a demographer that was called in to uh, study centenarians living in Sardinia in, in Italy, and he's, there was some disbelief. People didn't believe that men, men were living really, that's the place in the world where men live the longest. And as you may know or your listeners may know, uh, women typically live longer than men, except in Sardinia where they actually the men live longer. So the demographer came in and he interviewed and, and looked at the, the records of people and, and verified that there was. the the large number of centenarians living there. And so he just simply circled the area with a blue pen. And that's how the blue zones (laughs) began. And then they started. Wow. Yeah. 
It's a blue pen. <laughs> it's a blue pen. That's amazing. Now, I, I've been trying to work on this question. I, I've had this question in my mind since I started reading your book. Do you think, and does your research add to this information, that there's a correlation for – well, I, I know that Sardinia is one of the places where the people live the longest. Now, Sardinia is an island off of Italy that's isolated in a good way, I think. And is there – do you observe a correlation of the places where people live the longest is are also areas – where they don't have a judgment about aging? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, yes. And there's there's a reverence. And there's a good example of in Sardinia, uh, the, the older adults are just really looked up to and loved. And, you know, they're the celebrities, literally. They make a calendar of all the centenarians, like, here we would have like a swimsuit calendar. There they have the centenarian calendar. <laughs> Old fishermen with their shirts off. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so there is, I've been thinking about that. I can draw that conclusion from having read your book, but I was really trying to get that, for instance, in, in our culture, in the Americas, we we are stuck on, or at least this is my view, we're stuck on youth. You know, everything on a magazine is about youths, as Joe Pesci would say. And really that is the honored, that is the honored cult, is the youth, not just the Hollywood, but, you know, really youth. Now there's more of this happening. You people see people like Sharon Stone or Jamie Lee Curtis who are having photographs of themselves taken without makeup and being proud of who they are. But for the most part, we are obsessed with youth and health and virility, not, you know, like le- much less so about people like, let's say, Jack Lane, who I think was an example of a superager. I mean, he was a beast. Uh, and other, you know, bodybuilders who have who've maintained their wellness and their state of health, for the most part, for a long time. And I just think that's, that's a thing that in America's we have a judgment about age. Like you get to a certain age and then you're like, okay, go to the retirement home. Whereas these other cultures like Sardinia or uh, talk about some of the, there, there are areas in Japan as well, aren't there? Yes. And again, the people in those, in Okinawa in, and especially the area of Ojimi are revered. The older adults are really looked up to. And um, I think that, to me, I would I would explain the the cultural. I think there's also an underlying uh, shift in how we're looking at aging, and that's going to continue to shift. But I would bring it to actually the fire and the air, because we've been a culture for the past, especially the past hundred years, that has really put the fire element on a pedestal so power mm. and now look at what's happening in our world i'm not going to make any references you can <laughs> draw your own <laughs> yeah the the and people have said this i don't even know if it was Jimi hendrix or there's a couple of people attributed to this quote but we are moving from the love of power to the power of love and that's what i believe is happening and i think that the elders are ushering in this uh, power of love because really as you get older, you do become more vulnerable and you see so much change. Like your perspective is the air element. Your perspective is that love is important. So we need that. And I think a lot of people are starting to realize that. There's some that are still clinging to that power and they're clinging, clinging, clinging. Uh, and I think that the cultures, many of the blue zones, there's one exception which I can talk about, but most of the blue zones were isolated areas that were cut off geographically. So the cultures never, they never got that, um, you know, the, the power thing never came to them. And they just stayed as they were in like in the island of Sardinia and the island of Icaria in Greece. Hmm. 
we're going to take a short break and have a word from our sponsor, but I want to ask you about that exception blue zone because I have another question along with that. We'll we'll be right back. Soundhealthportal.com The body's vocal indicators move with every frequency set that goes from your brain to any part of your body. We have a Dr. Russ Rudy who came to us on a scooter. He had multiple sclerosis. Frequencies of his nerves were dead from the waist down. I'm speaking as a physician and a patient. Uh, I went down the medical road first. I didn't get any answers that were acceptable to me. You know, when they hear something like, I'm going to listen to you speak and I'm going to analyze and I'm going to play tones for you and make you better, it just sounds so foreign to what we're expecting. And it took us from November of one year to May of the next, and it regrew the nerves from his waist down. So now we can believe it because it was science. I, I've seen it work in so many cases. Oh, I'm proof of it. I mean, nobody, nobody five or six years ago would expect me to be doing what I am today. Join us at soundhealthportal.com. So things that are out there that we don't have very good treatment for, why shouldn't they be allowed to try something different? Now, you you said that there was an exception blue zone, or a blue zone that was an exception unto itself. What is that? Exception Blue Zone is Loma Linda, California, and the reason it's an exception is because it is not geographically isolated. It's in Los Angeles, California, and the reason it's a Blue Zone is because of the Seventh-day Adventists who have created their own little microcosm and their own healthy living sort of community. But it's very interesting because it is a community, and they have created a blue zone so what that tells me is it's possible for other people and other uh, groups and people to gather together and create their own blue zones and does that mean that the town of Angwin, california which is in northern california around healdsburg is also a blue zone because that's where the seventh day adventist university is i know the town because i've spent time there doing some technical work with a chiropractor Oh, I don't know. I'll look into that. I, I wasn't aware, so I will I will check on that. I think one of the things is maybe people don't know about Anguin. Anguin? How do you spell Anguin. that? Anguin. A-N-G-W-I-N. It's a mm-hmm. small, it, it's interesting. It might be true because it's, a, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's in the, you know, in wine country. That's a whole other story. But it's an isolated area because it's up a valley a small town isolated by itself, but the Seventh-day Adventist University is there. So I would, I suspect from having been there and spent uh, quite a bit of time, I was helping a doctor set up some technical equipment and everywhere you went, everybody was Seventh-day Adventist. It was hard to find, let's put it this way. It was hard to find a burger, like an actual burger, you know, cows. (laughs) And then I realized, Oh, of course, this is Seventh-day Adventist town. So, you know, that could be another possibility. It's not as big as Loma Linda. Right. And that's probably why, you know, it's going to take us, they're going to want a certain number of people to create the data that creates a blue zone. But I'm going to look into that because I go to Healdsburg every year. I have a friend that lives there and I teach yoga in Healdsburg. Nice. This is more toward the eastern side of the valley, but it's up, it's in that quadrant up around Healdsburg. Anyway, mm-hmm. sorry for, for Northern California chat. <laughs> and, <laughs> and in these blue zones, what are the commonalities of the blue zones? I mean, they're isolated. It seems like part of it is that work, air quotes, work is part of the lifestyle in terms of, you know, they live with the earth or, in the, you know, they spend time growing their own food. I mean, what are some of the characteristics of blue zones in general? Yeah, so there's many. One is moving naturally. Community, I think, is such a big one that we overlook in our modern era because we live, especially as we age, we live very isolated lives, and often uh, families are separated, generations are separated, people move and um, don't live near their older adult relatives. So there is strong family connection, strong community connections 
Um, one blue zone, which is in Greece, is very interesting because they don't really have very good health care there. And so they have the lowest middle age mortality of any place on earth. And specifically because nobody's medicated. They don't take any medications because there's no doctors on the island. It's so isolated <laughs> that they have wow. no medical care. Yeah. How and, lucky. Right. Isn't that interesting? Um, so some of the other characteristics are, of course, healthy diet. You know, a lot of, And there are different diets. Now, not all of the blue zones are vegetarian, but they don't eat a lot of meat. And if they do eat meat, of course, it's, you know, sourced from, you know, non, like obviously not a farm, factory farm or something like that. Seventh-day Adventists are um, vegetarian. And let's see if I've covered all. I think there's there's just a, a real interconnectedness, and that comes from the community. Exercise happens naturally, and a reverence for for older adults and connection. Those are, are really big ones. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they. I, I I would think that if you went to Sardinia. I have a fondness for Sydney because I've heard the cuisine is stupendous, a lot of amazing seafood um, and pasta, what's not to love, um, is that they don't – I bet if you ask them if they exercised on a daily basis, they wouldn't even think of that because it's not exercise, it's just life. You know, you go out, you you have to hike somewhere to go, you know, work in the garden or you do something or you're just physical as part of your lifestyle. Like my my grandparents, my great-grandparents, yeah, my great-grandparents grew their own food. And so I don't think it was any, you know, like farmers that I grew up with. I grew up near the Salinas Valley, so I grew up with a lot of farmers or people who grow artichokes. I mean, it's not exercise. It's just life. <laughs> it's not like I go out and work out for four hours every day. No, you're out in the field working and hauling and whatever it is. I mean, it's 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 not a practice. It is part of your life and plus i think having your hands on the earth has always beneficial okay i think that could be yeah. speaking of community that seems like a very powerful thing to be in communication with the earth is there is there any thread there with the these blue zones oh 100 okay 100 percent. yes um for example in sardinia it's it's a very mountainous steep it's a very steep terrain and the only occupation the reason the men live longer one of the postulations is because they are shepherds there really isn't any other occupation so they're shepherds and they walk seven miles a day and in the steep not you know if you live in hill in a hilly area you know walking seven miles a day with up and down of steep hills is a workout so they do that daily uh through most of their lives and that and they also because they're in this, they're walking around with their sheep, and then they get together at the pub. Even more so, there's more community and intertwining with men in Sardinia than women. That's the interesting thing. So community mm. is really important. That natural movement and the gardening in Ojimi, that's the island or part of Okinawa, the village in Ojimi and Okinawa, where uh, I think that is the longest, another a place where the people perhaps live the longest of anywhere more women living longer, but the women are gardeners. And so that requires them, even at age 100, they're gardening. And they're getting down, uh, clearly they have to get down to the earth, so they are really agile. And that's very important because one of the biggest reasons that people um, decline as they age is balance and getting up and down off the floor. As a yoga teacher, I know that with teaching older adults, it's really important to um, keep up the skills which sound, you know, it sounds simple when you're younger, but to be able to get on all fours, to be able to bring a foot forward, which are the positions you'd be in to garden, not to mention that that is the life force. That's the life force of being close to the earth and making your own vegetables or, you know, growing your own vegetables, being part Mm -hmm. of that uh, nature. Well, I think there's also such positive benefit from having connection to dirt, Healthy dirt, particularly, I imagine, because of these cultures are mostly are isolated. They probably aren't growing GMO foods, and that the the health of the soil is vital 
because that's where they get their food from, so that they're in dirt that's vital, they're getting micronutrients in the soil that's vital. It's it's a self-winding health factory, (laughs) is how I think of it, which is an exciting concept. makes me want to move to an isolated island (laughs) and a few other people, (laughs) (laughs) maybe. Uh, I want to jump slightly and and ask you a question about your – I can't. I don't remember in the because I read the book a little while ago, and I don't remember exactly when you did this. But you did a research project with yoga and metabolic syndrome. Can you talk about that and what was discovered? Actually, I guess I have to ask you right out of the gate. Could you tell us what metabolic syndrome is for those that don't know? Yes, metabolic syndrome is another way, but a little bit different than saying that you're pre-diabetic, which, as you may know, many in our population are pre-diabetic. So it's a cluster of symptoms, such as high blood pressure, um, visceral fat, which is heavy around the middle, and um, other, other biomarkers. So this study was through UCSF and funded by the NIH. And what we did was restorative yoga, which is specifically relaxing yoga with uh, clients or patients that had metabolic syndrome. And the idea was to come up with a, an intervention that wasn't exercise because it wasn't actually physical exercise. It was more relaxing yoga. And what the study found was visceral, one of the biggest things was visceral fat was reduced around the middle. Some of the other findings were, and I should back up a bit, the control group was stretching. So stretching was found to be as good as the restful yoga for um, reducing stress and some of the other biomarkers. It wasn't found that just the relaxing practice on its own uh, reduced some of the biomarkers of metabolic syndrome, but both could do the job. And I think on that note, I think, a combination of, you know, clearly movement, stretching, and relaxation, to me, and that's, it is, it's what is going to help us to, quote, unquote, super age. Stretching. I've always been terrible at stretching. <laughs> I confess, my hand is up. My name is Richard. I'm terrible at stretching. I'm good at, ex- I've been good at exercise. I was a gym rat for almost 10 years, meaning pumping iron, not competitively. I think that's part of the kapha thing. I'm completely not competitive, but I liked, I used weightlifting for years as a meditation because it got me completely into my body. I, when you're really pumping iron, you have to be right there in the moment. And I was like that because it quieted down that what I call head noise because I tend to be an overthinker and really get me completely present into the moment. I really like that. I really like that state of... Hey, it's quiet in my head. Wow, that's amazing. Um, there's a lot of energy up there grinding away in the brain. So to have that idea of, boy, adding stretching to that, that's, we'll talk more. <laughs> I'm ready for a stretchy <laughs> class. <laughs> and, yeah. and from that, did, as you found out more about, do you work with people now on the metabolic sy- syndrome? And do you teach classes on that? Or have you written a book about that yet? Or was that a study that was funded and they have the data and it's their data? Yeah, that it, yeah, it's it's their da- it's their data. I was an instructor, okay. um, but I I do wanna I do work with people that have a lot of different health challenges. And what that what that study did for me was to also like really it, it sort of opened a door into looking at research and looking at the bigger picture because working in yoga studios and even gyms, you get a certain population. And even the people we worked with in that study were very different. They weren't people that were going to walk into the door of a yoga studio. Some of that has changed because yoga has expanded into a lot of different arenas, into hospitals, into um, senior house. You know, more and more people are doing yoga every day and in many different uh, uh, scenes and places. So, but it, it, it gave me an idea that, oh, there we can – a yoga lifestyle, so we'll call it the yoga lifestyle, besides doing the physical poses, can really help people. And, and being able to integrate that on in a way that makes sense, that doesn't 
um, that can can almost be folded into how people understand their life at their life right now. Because I know as somebody who's a seeker and has been on a sort of yogic path, I know that you know if I tell you how I live, that's going to be like, oh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but I it's been a journey, right? Our lives are a journey and I can look at somebody and that's what I do with my clients. I look at them and I'm like, okay, what small change can we make right now to get something to shift, some, something to open up, more prana, more life force, more health, because it's all about the vitality to me and living that vital, joyful life. Well, I can't remember if I read this in your book or if it's in some other part of the research, once I start researching something, it's sort of a pool of information. Was it you that was talking about chair yoga? I did talk about chair yoga. Chair yoga is excellent. I love, I love teaching chair yoga. I love yoga. the theory of chair yoga. I think that's it. What is chair yoga and how do we, <laughs> I need a show on that. I need to know about chair yoga. Not that, I, I, I'll not, give. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Oh, I have a friend. I'll, give, I'll put you in touch with her. Uh, chair yoga is great because you don't have to do anything but sit in a chair. You can also stand up and use the chair to help you balance. So it's great for older adults. And I always like to say I can trick people into doing yoga at any age by telling them to do chair yoga because <laughs> they, will, they will probably not be intimidated by chair yoga. And I've taught chair yoga at an 80th birthday party and a 20th uh, anniversary party because everybody will do it. You know, I can get the teenagers to do it, and I can actually get them to, you know, you can stretch a lot sitting in a chair, stretch your arms, upper body, spine, and so forth, and then you can stand up, and the people that need the balance, that have balance issues or maybe are not as steady on their feet, can hold on to the chair. The teenagers don't need to hold on to the chair, but you can make them just squat down and they can break a sweat so everybody can participate. Wonderful. That's very exciting. Um, I'm going to jump ever so slightly. This isn't superager. You asked the question, how do I want to play my aging game? Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think if we gamify, uh, that's one way to overcome our own um, our own internal blocks, shall we say. And I think one of the blocks I see, especially in maybe the way we've been conditioned in Western culture, is to bite off more than we can chew. We have big – we want to make big changes right away. It's sort of that, like, magic bullet approach. And as you mentioned before, um, what – or what small changes can we make? And that can be maybe less exciting or less enticing, but when you make it a game, then you become more interested in that game, and it's, it's, it's like the game is the journey. The game is seeing these small, small steps add up. So maybe your small step is to do chair yoga for five minutes a day. I mean, it doesn't have to be big, but then you start to realize, like, this feels good. This is changing my life. Then you increase it to 10 minutes a day. Or maybe you start doing chair yoga, and then you realize, I'm dehydrated. I need to drink more water. And I will do chair yoga, and then immediately afterwards, because this is habit change science, I'll drink a glass of water. So building your habits and building it so you don't have to overthink it, I think, is critical. And that's what people are doing in the blue zones. They already... They have a naturally healthy lifestyle. Those habits are built in seamlessly. They're not thinking about it. They're just living their life. Well, it's kind of, I think it's along the lines of what we were talking about earlier, where they don't, I think if you went to a Sardinian herder and asked him if he exercised every day, he'd say, no, (laughs) no, I don't exercise every day, because they don't think of what they do as exercise. It's just part of their life. So it's just intrinsic to the lifestyle. And if we can, a combination of your, as you say, gamifying something, so it seems like fun versus a workout. Workout sounds hard. Get, you know, gamifying something is really a powerful idea, and, and then it just becomes part of your life. And, and I know for myself, when I was working out regularly, I missed it when I didn't do it. I really, even though I, for a period of that time, I was also a chef for a number of years. 
And even though I would work really hard in the kitchen, at the end of the day, I'd still go work out because of the mental state that it got me into. I really liked that part. So it just became part of my life, and I, I enjoyed it. It was a, you know, a combination of gamifying, non-competitive, but, you know, gamifying and just the feel afterwards was amazing, which is always good. Yeah. And your research look at, does your research look at how the, at the relationship between how we think and how we age? Oh, definitely. Um, and one thing I didn't mention when you were asking about the traits of mm-hmm. the blue zones is um, purpose and purpose can change mm-hmm. over your life in Japan they have a word called ikigai and that means your reason for living it can be translated in many different ways but reason for living is a nice way to translate it and it can be as simple as I hang out with my friends that's my purpose I support my friends or I do my gardening I am a priestess. Some of the women in Ojimi are uh, Zen priests, and they they feel like they have a responsibility to the people that are in their spiritual group. Hmm. So now I forgot the rest of your question. It was... Um, no, no, I started thinking too much about Ikigai. Sorry, we'll have to uh, punt. <laughs> we'll have to re- okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to that. Um, oh, I, I, I think it was, it was the question regarding how we think and how we age, the, co- the relationship between what we think and how we age. That was where we oh, got it. And yes. then you talked about Ikigai. There we go. Yeah. I wanted to talk about Ikigai, and then I also wanted to talk about Elaine Langer. She has done amazing research, outside-of-the-box research on aging and, uh, and many other things, but she's a really interesting Harvard uh, psychologist. And she did this study, um, I think it was in the 80s, where she took men in their 60s, in the 1980s, and she brought them to a retreat center, and she changed everything about the center to make it look it was the 1950s. So these men thought it was 30 years earlier or that was she was trying to get the shift in their mindset she played only music that was from the 50s and they were going to get together in a mat like it was kind of like a time capsule and then she measured uh their blood pressure their grip strength their maybe looked at their how they walked and she found incredibly that everything they got younger just by being in this sort of time capsule controlled environment where they were tricked, their mind was tricked into thinking it was the 1950s. So I think that's fascinating. And I think our mindset has so much power. And yeah, I think it comes from the environment and it also comes from within. It seems that that reminds me of the, I forget who, I don't remember who said this originally, but talking about the idea of our mind, our bodies really don't know the difference or our mind doesn't know the difference between seeing an actual cyber-toothed tiger and really imagining a cyber-toothed tiger. Our cells on a cellular level react to those the same. And I think that's a fascinating idea of taking a group of men and putting them, retroing them back in time so that their cells are going, oh, I remember what this is like. I was this way, so I am again. That's a very cool idea. I don't know how to mock that up, but I love that idea. (laughs) I know that, as I say, having been a chef for a long time, I know that when I step into a kitchen, my mind or how I am physically goes back to when I was a working chef. You know, I just, I drop right into that place. Uh, because I did it for so many years, so I, I think that's a that's a cool tool. I'll have to see how I can use that to my benefit. Um, in super, as we're beginning to move ah, rapidly toward the end, I'm surprised. Um, you talk about a woman. I, I want this as an example because I think it's such a great thing. You talk about a woman whose nickname was Rare Bird. Can you talk to us about her attitude and life a bit? Yeah, that's um, Iris Apfel, and she is now, I I don't remember her exact age, but she's in her at least mid-90s, and she's become a style icon. 
she is design. She's like a major designer, and it all started with one of her. I think that the MoMA was looking for an exhibit, and she had collected incredible clothing. And she just all her life, she loved to dress. I mean, look up Iris Apfel. Anybody who's at the internet, you can see her iconic look. Um, so they had a an exhibition of her literally her wardrobe and it was a smash hit and now she this is maybe many years later i'm not sure when that first exhibit was but say 15 years later she's designing and selling her own clothing line she's more well known and famous than ever at the age of 95 or something like that and i love her quote one of the things i love about her is she's this very uh witty and um she's a fiery character She said something like, retirement is not like those, you know, you look at those, she called them terrible brochures where people are just in a canoe rowing on a lake. And I thought that was hilarious the way she described um, retirement because that's not everybody's idea of retirement. Some people might like to be on a lake, but she's a New Yorker. She wants to be out there in the fashion world designing, and that's what she's doing. I think that's the beauty of the modern era is that we have so many possibilities. You can express yourself and be who you've always wanted to be at any age. I just pulled <laughs> I'm laughing because I just pulled up an article on her, uh, perhaps by her. Where the head of the, the title of the article is Iris Apfel thinks dressing for your age is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this is from 2016. But I mean, here's this. You know, I don't know how old she is, but she's old here, and she's dressed in these vivid sort of Calder-like colors. Really, you know, that, that's a great story. That's I. That's why I wanted you to talk about her because it's like, you know, she's in her 90s and she's a fashion icon. How great is that? I just love that. Yeah. I think that's stupendous. Yeah. And there was another thing I wanted to ask you about as we're moving toward the, really, wow. Um, what is the Redson or Recode protocol? That's a doctor who did some oh. amazing research. What is that? Yeah, that's being really quashed. I know your your listeners look up Dale Bredesen. He has, he has reversed Alzheimer's. I will say it because a lot of people won't say it, but you can look him up. He's got a book called The End of Alzheimer's, and his his protocol is very much like Ayurveda. He uses a lot of Ayurveda herbs and science, and nobody wants to talk about it because we are really, you know, I think attached on some cultural level to the idea of Alzheimer's not being curable, and the criticism he's gotten is that it's too complicated. It's too complicated and there isn't enough science, but he's he's using he's leveraging the power of the internet and creating support groups of people on his protocol. I think that's also important because along with gamifying our our healthy lifestyle, when we have support, even if it's online, people feel you know it's hard to change, especially embedded in a culture that doesn't always support healthy lifestyle. So I know we're short on time, but look him up. I'll definitely look him up. That's I, I remember now that you're talking, mentioning his book, uh, and I'll find that because that's a fascinating idea that somebody's out there, go, you know, and they, and they want to kibosh it because, well, that's a whole show. Big Pharma, that's all I have to say. Um, that's all I'll say about that, Big Pharma, and then we'll move along. We'll get back to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're that we're, I'm amazed that we're at that time where I ask you, do you teach classes online yet? I do teach. Yeah, I do teach classes online. I cool. do. Um, yeah, I do classes online in healthy living. I also do private yoga sessions with people, and I teach group classes and helping people to super age. Wonderful. And where would you like people to find out more information about you and find your book, Super Ager? My book is on every major, you know, internet site. It's also just released last month as an audio book. So you can listen to it on Audible and you can order it from any bookstore. 
You can find me online at elisemariecollins.com. You can email me, elisemariecollins, at gmail.com. Excellent. Well, that went faster than I thought. I wasn't ready for it to go that fast. I have many more questions. Uh, There may be a part two here. Um, That was really fun. Thank you so much, Elise. And everybody, super aging. Super aging is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Um, And with that, everybody have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.